Hello and welcome back to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name's Tina Quinn. As always, it's a pleasure to have your company. This week we're joined in studio by Lisa Davies. At the end of this week, she finishes up her nearly five-year run as editor of the Sydney Morning Herald. Lisa worked her way up internally, previously holding several senior reporting and editorial positions, such as justice editor, investigations editor and the paper's deputy. Her tenure has seen the Herald through one of its most significant periods, with COVID, the bushfires and most notably the tumultuous Nine Fairfax merger. With her sudden departure, we wanted to unpack her time at the top of Australia's longest-running newspaper. Lisa Davies, a warm welcome to Fourth Estate. Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. It's been nearly a month now since you announced you'd be leaving what you called the best job in journalism. How has stepping away from the newsroom felt? Mm, uh, it's definitely strange. I certainly miss the um, the day to day conversations about stories and you know the interactions with reporters. It's probably the thing I'm going to miss the most as as I properly finish up. I think on the upside, uh, I'm I'm not going to lie. Waking up every morning and reading four other newspapers it, before you even get to work is quite a is quite a task. So not sort of feeling the need to do that, you know, hasn't been all bad. So you announced your departure quite unexpectedly. Had you been thinking about going for a while before before you made the announcement? Uh, yes and no. I think I always had um, the five-year sort of timeline as a bit of an end point in my mind. Um, it's a long time to be doing a job that's a 24-7 commitment. Um, I, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, I've loved every minute of it, but I think the last two years in particular has been extremely gruelling, um, the bushfire mm. crisis um, and then pretty much straight out of that into a global pandemic and, and how that has um, affected Australia is obviously, you know, has been the focus for the last 18 months. In Most specifically in the last four and a half months I've been editing from home, um, running a running a you know, the most read um, publication in the country from my kitchen table um, has been a huge challenge, an amazing one. And I think the newsroom has done an incredible job of coming together to, to do what, to, to bring readers the news. But it certainly has, has really taken it out of me. And I think, I don't think I quite realised just how exhausting mm. the role is. And uh, yeah, it just felt like the right time. Because I'm guessing as a newspaper editor, you never expected that you would ever be working from home as such, but no. which doesn't make the job easier. It just sort of means your work bleeds into your personal life a lot oh, more. And, and look, the job is, is constantly bleeding into your personal life anyway. It doesn't need any help it there. It doesn't need any help, <laughs> but that's right. I mean, the sort of, you know, normal, in a normal course of a day, I would probably be finishing work around 7 or 7.30 when we send, send the first edition of the paper. Uh, I would head home and that really does signal the end of my day, mm -hmm. although you know, occasionally there's a later there's a later day than that, and we're talking on the phone with the night editor and and other things. But to sort of not have to do a commute home mm -hmm. or you know drive home, definitely sort of I just would move to the couch or then right. stay at the computer and catch up on emails that I hadn't sort of done. So yeah, it definitely didn't really seem like the start and the end of the day were 
the way they usually are. <laughs> well, you mentioned COVID and also mm. the bushfires. I mean, you've you've noted it's a particularly te- it's been a particularly testing time. So, starting with the coverage of the Black Summer bushfires and then into COVID, how how do you think? Besides, obviously, the adjustment of working from home and how much more it's bled into to your personal life. How else has COVID impacted yourself, your work, the Sydney Morning Herald, and what was it like to to lead a newsroom and manage people during such a tumultuous period? Yeah, look, I think the bushfire crisis that just preceded the pandemic was probably a really defining time for the Herald as a newsroom. I think it was the first time in a long while, you know, we had, I mean, we're always all working together. It's not to say otherwise, but it really was an all of newsroom effort. I think the fact that the whole city was blanketed in smoke for those long months and, you know, we had Mm. reporters just working unbelievable, reporters and, should I say, most specifically photographers um, working incredible hours and and being out there in unbelievably dangerous situations. So, and I think what was really unifying for us as well was also the fact that we, before anyone else, really started to tap into this sentiment about climate change and about its effect on these natural crises. So I think, you know, we were the first organisation to really call it out. We did an amazing job of pursuing that as a line throughout the coverage and then and then in the aftermath as well. And I think then, yes, yeah, so coming, coming out of that very unifying, exhausting but unifying experience, we very much sort of just... Picked up the, uh, picked it all up and did it all again. But this time it's been going, you know, for far longer. So I think, look, I think the newsroom's tired, and I think people are are feeling that they're ready to talk about something else. Mm. It's hard. It's sort of hard to probably. I probably need a bit more time away from it to really reflect on, on its impact on the organisation. But I definitely think we have led from the front in terms of providing fair, completely factual and, and accurate information for people at their time when they needed it most and, mm. and meeting people where their reading habits and, and consuming habits are. You've been editing The Herald since February 2017 now, so mm. 2017, so nearly coming up to five years. Yes. Let's go back to when you began and, and start mm. by discussing, I guess, those titanic shifts that yeah. have happened. during. You've yeah. edited it, as you know, during the <laughs> phenomenal yeah. time for The Herald. Yeah. The media business landscape has mm. changed quite a lot in the, in the last five years. The Herald's owner, Fairfax Media, was in a mm. relatively dire financial position. Mm-hmm. And over the preceding years, they'd been cutting journalists across yeah. mastheads to save money. What was the mood like in the newsroom when you first took the reins? Uh, Well, one of the first things I had to do and I, you know, having been offered the job was told um, what the task ahead looked like. So I, I did know that one of my first jobs would be to oversight a fairly significant redundancy program, which was very much to be the last and Mm -hmm. and that has held true to this point. Fairfax prior to that had been cutting jobs every year um, as a way of cost cutting to try and, you know, get ahead of the the down the downturn in circulation, print circulation as we know around the globe is, you know, there's no publisher that isn't affected by that. So look, the mood in the newsroom, it was pretty broken after that p- 
period. There was a lot of jobs that went and it was heartbreaking for those first, particularly six months as people gradually left the business over a period of time. But it was absolutely from the top out. Former managing director Chris Jans stood in front of the newsroom and said, this will be the last time we are cutting to the bottom and then we're going to build and invest. And that's exactly what's happened. It was a pretty rough year or two. But we have continued to grow. We have gradually, you know, we have amassed a huge number of Mm. new subscribers. We've really focused on the digital business, which is growing. And now, Mm. you know, our our revenue from readers now outstrips our advertising revenue. So, I mean, not by much, but but it's It's still quite an accomplishment. Not many can can claim that. And then, of course, so there was the, the merger with Nine, which has been an incredible change in the way, I mean, look, I'm very adamant in the fact that I've never been overtly influenced by anyone um, from the nine business, Mm. overtly or, you know, even subtly, but we very much have appreciated being part of a bigger mm. family, I think, rather than being this cost centre in a in a media business. We we are really a bit of a jewel in the nine crown, I like to think, the wider business because of what we do. It's a huge it's a huge credit to everyone in that newsroom that they've adapted really well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been amazing. <laughs> so obviously I did want to uh, touch on that. So mm-hmm. that, that merger was announced in 2018 yep. and it's basically made the nine Fairfax mm-hmm. merger has made it really Australia's largest media company. Now there was a lot of noise in the old guard of journalists yep. about how this merger would influence the editorial direction of yep. the of the Herald and its its formal charter of editorial independence. And you've said, you know, yep. you haven't no. felt that sort of pressure. No. Do you think these concerns were justified? I mean, you know, the chairman of, of Nine's board is Sir Peter Costello, the former Liberal treasurer. He was, you know, John Howard's right-hand man for, for many years. Yeah. I have never, ever had a conversation with Peter Costello about a story. Um, he's never phoned up to talk to me about anything like that. In fact, I can count on one hand the number of times we've met at events or functions. So I'm more than happy to ease anyone's fear. Look, it's natural that journalists were going Mm -hmm. to be concerned. Um, Fairfax, the old Fairfax, the Sydney Morning Herald has an incredibly lovely spot in the hearts of most media consumers and particularly here in Sydney. Mm -hmm. Um, We just celebrated earlier this year our 190th birthday. Mm. Like there's not many newspapers that have been continuously publishing for that long. But of course, people were worried. I think my overriding sense at the time was knowing that only a few months before we had been, private equity had been circling, feeling the business was ripe for the, ripe for a takeover. I mean, that would have been a disaster. Mm. Say what you like about, you know, Peter Costello or, or anyone, you know, in terms of the nine commercial operation, but it's also a legacy mm. news brand. I mean, Channel 9 was the first television network to go to air in mm. Australia. Dave, um, Gingell, can't remember. David Gingell. David Gingell's father was the first man on television. Mm. Um, it, you know, there, there's a real legacy there to Nine. And I think those two things were actually a really nice, mm-hmm. you know, blending. I mean, the, look, it's a, it's a cultural change, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are we the same place we were three years ago? No. But I think, you know, it's definitely been... I think anyone's fears have definitely been allayed, I, I like to hope. I, I guess in, in terms of when you look at the streamlining coverage um, of certain issues across the Herald and its, it's Melbourne sibling, The Age, for instance, mm-hmm. it's meant that the two papers, they're only really differentiated by their local city-specific coverage. Mm-hmm. How do you think it sort of impacted, I guess, the separate identities that those two papers had? Well, I think it just places more pressure on editors to 
be mm. very connected to their city. And mm-hmm. look, I've worked in journalism for over 20 years and all of that time in Sydney. And I'm, I defy um, many to say there's people more, more Sydney than me. I, I, you know, I love it and I'm incredibly connected to what we do here. And um, our state coverage is, our state politics coverage, our local issues coverage, urban affairs, transport, all those sorts of things are the bread and butter of, mm-hmm. of our readership. Um, I don't think there's any real issue. I mean, federal politics, for example, and it is probably the most contested space in journalism in the country. Do we really need different Mm. federal politics bureaus for the Herald and the Age, I don't don't think so. I just don't think it's justified anymore. What do you think, though, from a state, because the criticism, say, from the Age Bureau has been that they've been... Yeah, it's a very different story than what the Sydney Morning Herald is is sort of contending with. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I think the Age currently has an incredibly strong... Melbourne editor, mm-hmm. um, and and the predecessor was too in a different in a different way in a different fashion. But I think Gay Alcorn is doing a, a, an incredible job of really doubling down on on Melbourne mm-hmm. and making the age readers very connected to their city. She did a great project um, as they came out of, I don't know, lockdown four or something <laughs> late last year, um, you know, to really sort of encourage Melbourne to, you know, wrap its arms around each other as they came out of that really long mm. lockdown last year. And, you know, those things, are, those things are really important. I think what COVID has shown us, and this has perhaps amplified the needs in both of our newsrooms to do that, the community connection and the connection amongst each other. And our readers, I mean, our Herald readers, I think are the most engaged Mm-hmm. readers you'll find. Um, they love being across the detail and they love knowing about what's going on, you know, internationally, nationally, but most especially in their own backyards. There's been some talk about recent changes in editorial structure at Nine. So in July, Tori Maguire was promoted to group executive editor and, and given editorial oversight of the Metro Mastheads. Mm-hmm. So it's been reported that this is part of a push to, as you sort of already touched on, streamline politics, business and world news operations to, to specifically come from Canberra. Did that have any bearing on your decision to sort of move on or? No, no, no. I mean, that job was previously held by James Chessel. There's been mm-hmm. no change in direction. Mm-hmm. Um, James obviously moved up into the managing director role, um, replacing Chris Jans, who left the business earlier this year. There's there's no change in strategy. There's absolutely nothing um, other than, you know, we know as a business we need to double down on our digital business mm. and, and that's going really well. So that needs to happen. I mean, at the end of the day, I've been doing it for five years. <laughs> and uh, it's time to give someone else a go. <laughs> You're listening to For the State on the Community Radio Network and our guest this week is Lisa Davies, outgoing editor at the Sydney Morning Herald. I want to turn now to the Herald's reporting on the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. So the investigations into Don Burke and Dyson Hayden brought considerable kudos, um, but also would have had a high degree of, of difficulty given the state of Australia's defamation laws. What's the development process of these sorts of stories like? Because there's a lot of chatter about the fact that there's so many more stories out there that haven't come to line. Mm-hmm. And it's it's usually because of, yeah. you know, the hoops that many journalists really have to jump through to, yep. to match up to our defamation laws here. Oh, it's probably the biggest challenge we have, um, getting stories that are in the public interest over the line. Um, I mean, I'm very fortunate that 
the Herald, well, the Age as well, have very strong investigative units who we, um, I mean, it was one of the first things I did as editor was create a bespoke investigations unit because um, the Age had one and they were, you know, and, and we had Kate McClymont. But um, <laughs> so I wanted to build a bit of a team around Kate and put someone in charge of really, you know, putting a putting a bit of a ring fence around what they do and like letting them go and do it. Um, and, and more than just Kate, God love her. Um, so so well, that, I mean, if you're going to have a well, unit that's right. Is Kate McClymont. I mean, that's she's a unit. In, in she's her, a unit in herself. In but I'm herself. sure she's grateful that she but doesn't it, have exactly. to carry the weight. And she really wanted, and you know, she likes to, um, you know, pass stories. Mm. She can't do everything. No, <laughs> but I think you know we really prioritise that work, and so we do let people work until they can get it, you know, within within reason, obviously. But you know, we allow people the time and the space mm. to get these stories. And that, you know, working with sources, working with um, complainants, victims is is time consuming mm-hmm. and it's painstaking work because everything we do, we don't want to jeopardise any potential legal process. We are um, incredibly supportive of the work of police and, and other investigative bodies. So there's nothing, we don't want to impact any of that. But sometimes, you know, people don't want to talk in other forums. They would like to talk to a journalist. And so, look, I think... The challenges we have in in the defamation space are huge. Um, we are still fighting a defamation action against one of the people we uh, wrote about at the time. Um, obviously, I'll be slightly careful about what I say, but you know we stand by that story and we are going to defend that until um, you know for as long as it needs mm. to be. Um, even though there wasn't a you know a separate criminal matter that did ensue. So, look. I'm, I fully support the hard work that we do to get it to a point. We're legaling things constantly. Mm, mm. Um, but, you know, it, it it's very demoralising when you can do absolutely everything required under the law um, in order to, you know, be fair and balanced mm-hmm. and, and do all those things and then end up in a defamation suit that could go one way or the other, but it, it's just so expensive to, to fight these actions. And we're always going to fight them because we stand by the journalism. Absolutely. And it's incredibly st- stressful on the reporters because mm. they're the best at what they do and they, they do everything asked of them in terms of providing accurate information to the lawyers for assessment. And uh, anyway, we are where we are. People have right to defend their mm-hmm. to defend themselves and we've got no problem with that. We're certainly not a law unto ourselves and wouldn't like to be seen as that. However, you know, sometimes things just, um, ne- you know, they're in the public interest. The Herald is is well known for the quality of its investigative reporting, as we've just spoken about. And, you know, Kate McClymont obviously is um, quite, I mean, that's quite a star to have on the masthead, I guess. And, you know, she's amazing. She's a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal investigative journalist. Yeah. Um, others like Adele Ferguson, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. Um, you've had Chris Masters yeah. with you of recent. Over your time at The Herald, what do you think are the stories that have had the biggest impact? <laughs> it's it's hard to narrow it down, really. I mean, as you say, all of those reporters you've just named are unbelievable at what they do. Um, they've all changed something, I think, for the better. Um, Nick McKenzie is obviously now as much a star on 60 Minutes as he is um, at the age in the Sydney Morning Herald and is just tireless in wanting to, you know, shine light in dark places and mm-hmm. all those things we talk about. I mean, I think Kate's Don Burke story was one of the most, um, like I still remember being in the newsroom when I overheard, because she used to sit quite close to me in our old um, in our old office and I heard her on the phone to 
two of the sources involved, mm-hmm. who were ultimately named, but I just won't name them here, um, in the in the piece. But you know, there was no way she was letting them off the hook, ducking behind a no comment, and. By getting the two of these these two particular individuals to speak, it absolutely made the story, mm-hmm. um, you know, gave the story such a great impact. And it's it's those extra phone calls that pushing really hard to the end to get people to take a you know take responsibility for what they've done in the past and and have some accountability. I think that story as it as as it was was the you know Me Too coming to Australia's shores, and I think sparked you know, a lot of other coverage that we've seen and a lot of amazing um, reporting by us and others. Uh, so that was definitely a moment. I mean, some of the international stories, I mean, I mean, Donald Trump, anyone? I mean, all of that has been, you know, it's such a ride for, for everyone involved and just trying to, trying to deliver readers what you know, making sense of these issues mm. for an Australian audience. You know, Matthew Knott deserves a massive pat on the back for enduring four years of the Trump presidency. Um, uh, and I, I don't know, I think some of it, I mean, state politics coverage has just been you know, like no like no other time before. I mean, pandemic, yeah. had the Premier at the ICAC, um, a huge amount of effort has gone into our state mm. politics coverage and it's a credit to everyone involved that, you know, I think we have the best state politics bureau in New South Wales, so uh, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, I t- it's hard for me to narrow down because every day there's there's been something. But, yeah, those really pivotal moments, I think, um, are what I'll remember most. So we've talked a bit about how much you've really grown the online audience of the Herald and, and how it's now able to to live on this you know amazing masthead that that has a 190 year history is now able to really live on because of that so it's become it's it's become the most widely read online metro masthead so 8.3 million views how important has improving the online experience been to you was it was it a priority as soon as you started with the with the Herald Look, in some ways it was already underway when I started um, there was a a, uh, Chris Jans had led a project to really examine. I think. I think what people will say mostly is that the digital Herald and the and the traditional mm-hmm. Herald had diverged quite a lot in the sort of boom of online news. Mm-hmm. You know, before my time, but you know, late more well, early two thousands mm-hmm. and and sort of from there. And I think what we all wanted to do was bring those two things back to be in lockstep again yeah. um no more clickbait no more splashy headlines and and what have you and i and kind of restoring that reader trust that when they you know when they click on a headline they're getting the story they think they're mm-hmm. getting um it's been a huge priority for us and also you know as with that early on i redesigned the the newspaper itself we redesigned the um the sun herald as well um and and the website went along with that just to really sort of i mean i wanted the sun herald which has always been a bit of a uh, I always like to call it the black sheep of the mm-hmm. family, um, given its heritage as once being a Sunday tabloid. Mm-hmm. Um, tabloid. It was the most tabloid in yes, the, in the yes. sort of stable. But we want it to be more like the Sunday Sydney Morning Herald, and I think we've done that. And to credit to Cosy, uh, the Cosma Mariner, who's the editor of that, uh, she's done an amazing job mm. and is now the deputy editor of the Herald, Herald. So she, you know, she's she's done a fantastic job, and I think. The digital site has also gone through a huge shift in um, really trying to 
encourage readers to stay with it, like rather than just see a post on Facebook and bounce in and bounce out. Mm-hmm. You know, a huge, a huge part of what we've done is really tried to keep people reading. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm saying a lot at the moment, I've been saying a lot at the moment, you know, people have been coming for the COVID stories, but they're staying for everything else, mm-hmm. which is hugely gratifying. You know, our culture, our life and culture offering is really strong and much more digital than it used to be. It's not the natural place of Herald readers to to read culture stories online, but yeah. um, they're, they're really embracing it there now, like usually the domain of spectrum and what have you on and a Saturday. Good weekend. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also, yeah, long form stuff. I mean, one of the biggest, you know, I remember probably five years ago, or you know, maybe 10 years ago, people were dreadfully fearful about long form journalism not translating to digital mm-hmm. It does. Mm. I'm here to tell you it mm. does. And the the Good Weekend readership is just amazing the way they stick with those five, 6,000 word pieces on a weekend. How do you see the, the paper adapting to, to new online audiences going forward? Mm. Um, it's just all about, for us, trying to um, meet readers where they are uh-huh. um, and attract them to our our style of journalism I think one thing that newsrooms around the world are grappling with is mm. how we get younger readers mm-hmm. to pay for quality independent media mm. um, rather than look on social, tic, you know, TikTok, Instagram. But we need to find a way to tap into where those those eyeballs are too, and I think it's something that everyone is looking at. There's no no real secret about that. So, you know, when I say young, um, I'm not talking <laughs> about teenagers. Um, you know, the average newspaper reader is in the later stages, the second half of their life, um, I would say. Um, but, you know, as an editor who's not at that point, I've really, I've really tried to sort of bring a bit more freshness to our readers. And, and it's really important to me that people in their 30s, even in their 20s, are mm-hmm. looking, you know, engaging with ideas, being a part of debates, really trying to understand how this country works and, and get involved. So, yeah, I'm, I'm confident that's going to continue um, even more so. The reader experience is obviously so important to you. Mm-hmm. What do you think going forward it will mean for the hard copy version? Yeah, I don't think there's any sign that the paper is mm. on its way out. Mm. Um, there was It's obviously in decline, but they mm. are, you know, newspapers are in de- decline the world over. Mm-hmm. I think it'll still be around for some time yet. Mm. Mm. I, I still love kicking back with a, with a uh, paper on yeah, a Saturday morning. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Most people do. <laughs> uh, so in April of this year, the Herald celebrated 190 years in print publication. You're the third, you're only the third woman to have edited the Sydney Morning Herald following Amanda Wilson and, and Judith Whelan. Mm. If you were hiring your replacement, what would you be looking for? Um Oh, someone who is incredibly energetic, um, as I mentioned mm-hmm. at the start. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot. Um, I think also um, perhaps one of the things that I would say I haven't been maybe as good at, but I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, it's up for other people, but I feel like one of my challenges has always been to look further forward mm-hmm. um, than, you know, I, I get very I'm a news junkie, like I get excited the day to day. I think someone who's got a bit more of a strategic um, approach to some of the coverage is probably um, a good thing because mm-hmm. you do have to elevate above the day to day perhaps a little bit more than I have. I think I, I've done it to some extent, but um, it was always a work in progress for me. I get way too excited by the latest you know, development <laughs> in this story or that story. Uh, I think digital is obviously a huge part of what we're doing now, so someone who understands that. But for me, 
I think I would love to see my replacement be quintessentially Sydney, mm-hmm. um, really understand how this city works and its role in national affairs and also really understand the reader. Um, the Herald Reader is, a, they're all wonderful. I, <laughs> they're very engaged. They own the Herald. They do very much think they are a real part of our decision making and we listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I think someone who, I mean, it's been one of the greatest pleasures is having great debates with readers about issues or about about the direction of the place. Everyone's got an opinion, but I think really understanding that and, and respecting the views of the readers is, is hugely important. So um, someone who's got a deep history with the Herald would be, would be brilliant. Can I ask, when did you start in newsrooms? Uh, I started, I was a AAP editorial assistant in the Brisbane office of AAP in 2000 one. 2001. No, 2000, I think. In 2000. Um, so, yeah, I got my cadetship. I came to Sydney um, with AAP in March 2001. And as we've just mentioned, you're only the third female to edit the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, over the last two decades, how have you seen a change for women in, in, in newsrooms? Because I'm guessing when you came in, did you feel it was still very extremely male-dominated, a, Look, a realm that was extremely male-dominated? I guess my perspective, yeah, the bosses have always mm-hmm. been men um, until I came to the Herald um, and I worked for both Amanda and Judith yeah. and Amanda was the first female editor of the Herald but also my first female editor. And I think what's changed is those is those higher ranks of women. I mean, currently of my team... More than 50%, I think, are women, Um, you know, opinion editor, photographic editor, deputy editor, Saturday editor, Sun Herald editor, you know, there's, they're everywhere. (laughs) And I love that. And I love that we've really been fostering of of strong female talent. And and I think the newsroom might even be 50-50, if not more so, Mm -hmm. just. So, look, I think still a long way to go, particularly in the upper echelons of corporate Mm -hmm. media, corporate Australia generally, but certainly higher up in in media companies. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Finally, what comes next for you professionally or or are you just looking to rest and and recharge right now? Definitely looking to rest and recharge. I've been very flattered by a lot of contacts from people Mm -hmm. around the place wanting to talk, but yeah, I'm definitely having a break first. (laughs) Okay. Well, fair enough. Sounds like you've definitely earned it. (laughs) Thank you. Lisa Davies, we can't wait to see what you do next. (laughs) Thanks so much. My pleasure. And thank you for uh, joining us in Fourth Estate. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A big thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, of course, but in the meantime, do stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. Many thanks to my producer, Toby Hemmings, and executive producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Tina Quinn. Please do stay well and stay safe, and catch us next week on Fourth Estate.